and the incoming convoy here in the United States. Joining the conversation is Breitbart's Robert Krychik. The Liz Calloway Show with Nick Summers, featuring Breitbart Talks, Mondays at 8 on Talk 94.5. And with his feet on the ground in Ottawa, Robert, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Liz, good morning. Thank you for having me, and good morning to you too, Nick. Morning. So are you in Ottawa right now, or, uh, you know, have you left there? I'm in Ottawa right now. I'm born and raised here. I live wow. here. Okay, okay. Um, I have to ask you a question, um, and thank you so much for joining us. I was so disturbed about everything that's been going on there, but especially over the last weekend, we've gotten more and more information about the the control that people have been under. And I played a clip from a, from a news outlet that said that unvaxxed people need to be escorted into Walmart um, and into um, big box stores because uh, they're only allowed to shop in the grocery and pharmacy. They're not allowed to buy a toaster or go down another aisle. Um, I don't think people understand the scope of control Canadians have been under, hence this convoy and protest that has been you know, involving a lot of other people. Tell us more about what's been going on there over the last couple of years. Okay, I use the term COVID-19 enterprise to describe the series of controls, as you put it, that have been placed on people under the auspices of public health or public safety. Now, that specific example that you mentioned about people going into a Walmart, having some sort of chaperone or escort to make sure they don't go to buy anything they're not allowed to buy, just to buy the so-called essentials, that was exclusive to Quebec. So just as we've seen in the U.S., different policies implemented in different cities and states. There's been some of that in Canada as well with diverging policies between provinces and cities. So that was one of the more absurd examples of this control that you're warning about. Now, just more broadly, we've seen all sorts of stuff in Canada over the past two years in terms of these controls. So arbitrary distinctions between so-called essential and non-essential lines of work. So people who are non-essential were not permitted to work for weeks on end. For example, in Ottawa, in Ontario more broadly, Quebec had curfews between 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. for weeks at a time, making sure that people could not leave their homes, literally. So it's been pretty crazy. You know, Robert, one of the things that I was thinking is, There are people here in America that might say, well, they are illegally blocking the roadways. Um, They are preventing people who live and work in those communities from living their normal life. You know, Um, what is what is really, truly the consensus on the ground, if, if you can tell us somehow about how the people in that area felt about this protest happening? Were they happy that finally somebody was standing up for them? Or are they just really considered? Because to us, to some of us here in America, we feel that they're heroes. That, wow, look at what they're doing for the good of of the people of Canada. Because mostly all the truckers are vaccinated. Um, but so why were they going to this extreme? So And are people seeing it as way too much, too late? I mean, what what's really got the feeling, the sentiment? Okay, I'll take those questions in sequence. So the first thing you mentioned or asked about was, what was the degree of blockage or inconvenience imposed on residents of downtown by this trucker demonstration, their supporters? Now, they did not block off roads. They 
sort of held certain lanes on roads, but there was always a vacant lane on oh. every road that they were on. Okay. So that's a very important distinction. Mm-hmm. It was also a very small part of the downtown core. It wasn't like this suffocation of the city and nobody could do anything and honking 24-7. So there's a lot of wow. misrepresentation being put out there, surprise, surprise, mm. from the usual suspects in the media and government regarding what was actually happening in Ottawa. Now, as far as uh, the sentiment of Ottawans, I can't speak for them. I wasn't elected to speak on behalf of the city. I can tell you what I think and the people that I know mm-hmm. what they think. There was broad support mm. for this demonstration. And more basically, there is broad opposition towards what I mentioned earlier in terms of the COVID-19 enterprise. There are, of course, people who live in parts of downtown that were more affected by this demonstration in terms of noise or maybe more difficulty to drive around. But one more important point, the vast majority of restrictions on movement in terms of vehicle traffic in Ottawa were imposed by law enforcement, not the demonstrators. Mm. It was law enforcement placing blockades wow. all around parts of downtown, which are now mm. very extreme which prevent people literally from driving around. So the inconvenience was driven by law enforcement. This is a great example of government projecting onto those they dislike what they're actually doing themselves. That is unbelievable because, I mean, I've been flipping around because I'm a consumer of news and I like to see how other people are covering it. And I saw all the discrepancies in the coverage. And But what you're telling me, I didn't hear a stitch of. And that's why it's always important for me to go to Breitbart and follow things on Breitbart because I, I they really I mean like you're there and that that's just mind blowing to me uh, compared to what we've been hearing. Um, when I was watching some of the videos on Twitter, Robert, and we're speaking to Robert Krychik of Breitbart, I saw there were shop owners that were in the red within the red zone, which is where the whatever police whatever you want to call them were clearing out they were afraid to leave their building because they were yelling to the police officer was telling them they have to leave they're in the red zone they said this is private property i'm afraid we're going to walk out there and you're going to arrest us and they're like no 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 they said no we're staying here until tuesday until trudeau votes on whatever so my two questions are he then turns to the camera and he says i don't even know who these people are these aren't our police officers who are these people and then my second question is what is Trudeau voting on on Tuesday? And they said that they were going to hole up in there until Tuesday because they're afraid to come out. Okay, in terms of the shop owner, I saw that video report too. It's very alarming. Uh, this was one of the dissident shop owners running a cafe who remained open across the past few weeks, as opposed to the vast majority of other businesses that were closed. And I think he's being targeted politically for sort of dissenting from the rest who indulged this sense of crisis, uh, this idea that they had to shut down for their safety when there was no threat to their safety whatsoever. Uh, As far as the second question, in terms of what they're voting on, there's going to be a vote on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's declaration of this emergency order. So he needs to get consent from Parliament in order to sort of authorize that. And that's where the vote is tomorrow. Okay. Were those actual regular police officers? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I forgot to answer that question. In terms of who they were, okay, there was a massive national effort to pull law enforcement officers from all different jurisdictions and levels of government. So we saw Ontario police officers pulled in uh, from across the province. 
We saw local police officers, of course, from Ottawa. We even saw some police officers from Quebec, which Ottawa is on the border with. So there, there was a huge flow of law enforcement to come in. And to your question about who they were, we're not sure in terms of what level of government they were. I didn't pay close attention to the uniform. Okay. Some people said that they recognized that they were UN troops, but I didn't know anything about it. Um, so I, I just thought maybe um, we'll eventually find out. I have to ask you a question about, uh, and we're speaking with Robert, Robert Krychek of Breitbart, about the banking issue, the freezing of funds, the freezing of the Give Send Go, GoFundMe, all of that, the doxing of the, you know, the people. Um, when Y2K was coming, I don't know if you're old enough to remember that, but everybody was freaking out that they would not be able to go to the bank and all their money's going to evaporate because the, the computers are going to switch to 2000. There were so many people that pulled all their money out of the banks. Um is there a, the same sentiment going on here where people are fearful that they won't have access to their money? There are people complaining about access to their cryptocurrencies uh, and to their, their regular banking in Canada, not only of people involved in the protest or who have donated to the protest, but family members of those who have been identified as a protester. Yeah, there is definitely fear of that. There is reason for that fear as well. So on Friday, uh, Christia Freeland, who is our deputy prime minister, sort of the Canadian analog of a vice president, she stated that 73 financial instruments or accounts or products have been frozen, and she promised to freeze many more. Now, their way out, meaning the governments, they're saying they're just advising financial institutions of particular figures and accounts that they may wish to freeze. So this is their way of sort of absolving themselves of direct responsibility. Now, in terms of the actual fear, that that part of your question, yeah, people are concerned. And more broadly, people are fearful of the future in every regard. Remember, we were speaking earlier about being chaperoned in a Walmart to go and make sure that you don't buy so-called non-essential products. So there, there is total fear among Canadians on all basic freedoms, including uh, financial freedom. You know, there was a time where all the things in Walmart were considered essential. So this whole sectioning off of Walmart or Costco and the fact that Walmart is participating by allowing their employees and making their employees do that is disgusting. Yeah, I totally agree. This arbitrary distinction between so-called essential and non-essential goods and services, but even worse, non-essential versus essential lines of work is disgusting. Mm -hmm. And in my view, I'll hot take with you for a moment, that really is a prerequisite for the next level, which is you're a non-essential human being. Yeah. Oh, and that's what they're doing. They're making the unvaxxed being like they can easily be discarded. You're only allowed to buy food and drugs. That's it. That's all. You know what I mean? You can't work. You can't do this. You can't go to school. You can't travel. You can't come go into the U.S. I mean, it's it. I, I can't believe what's happening. I'm very upset about it. Um, and then I was reading what the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation did in your article. I was talking about this earlier, Robert. Um, the fact that they were reaching out. This is a federally funded, our, our version of NPR, which we despise. But I mean, they are, were reaching out to people who were doxxed and saying, hey, fess up first. What we want to do is we want to find out if you really did it. Allegedly, they call it allegedly, indicating to me that it's 
criminal. It's a wrong thing to do. It's something you did allegedly. So let's figure out first if you did it or not. Just let us know. And then we'll talk about how you feel about it. What a trap. (laughs) It's like unbelievable. I I love that you're noting that insinuation with the term allegedly. I think paying attention to the details of language is very important. Now, just to contrast the CBC with NPR, CBC is actually much, much, much worse than NPR in terms of its scope and size relative to the rest of the Canadian news media landscape. So CBC gets a sort of annual influx, at least over the past 10 plus years, of about a billion dollars, Canadian dollars. Now, that roughly translates, if we were to scale it to the U.S., to about $10 billion in the American context. Because remember, Canada is about one-tenth of the U.S. We're about one-tenth of your population. We're about one-tenth of your total GDP. So can you imagine if NPR or CNN got $10 billion per year from the federal government? So that makes the CBC much bigger Mm. in terms of its shadow it casts across Canadian news media than NPR. And, you know, in light of what you just told me, it says here, um, we should stress in, in this letter, we are not automatically identifying anyone by name in our story. We need to verify with people that they indeed contributed as a first step. And then second, we're going to sh- ask you to share your story. So I'm reading this and I'm like, who in their right mind would say, yeah, it was me. OK, so now you tell CBC, um, what, what are they going to do with that information? The government's going to come and, what, FOIA it or whatever it is that they do? Or to just say, hey, we give you all this money. Give us that information. Do our dirty work for us. Then you have you have citizens turning in citizens. This is this is this is what history is made of here. This is really bad. Yeah. OK, you're, you're tying together a lot of threads that I also think should be tied. So. In terms of in citizens informing on citizens, that's frightening. And we've seen that with respect to people online, you know, calling at others who are not getting vaccinated or not wearing masks. And uh, this clearly is an intimidation campaign from the state broadcaster against people who did this. And the what we're seeing in Ottawa very much resembles what we saw after January 6 in the U.S. with respect to this creation of what I describe as an illusion of crisis. And uh, I really like the fact that you're tying together what we're seeing in Ottawa and Canada more broadly with events in the U.S. because there's a lot of commonalities here. Yeah, there were children, grown children, you know, college age, that were turning in their parents that were seen on video or they knew that they were there at January 6th um, rally. They were turning their parents in. This is crazy. They were turning in their neighbors as if they did something wrong for showing up at the at the not the protest, but the rally. And it was a protest. And you're allowed to protest. You're not allowed to riot, but you're allowed to protest. But it they make this blanket across like they're doing with Canada. Now, uh, Robert, before we, out, we run out of time, we're speaking with Robert Krychek of Breitbart. I need to ask you what you you feeling on this, because I put I've been putting all these dots together. I've been so disturbed of the videos coming out of Ottawa. I feel like if the USA truckers go ahead with their freedom convoy into D.C., as we head into the State of the Union address by our president on March 1st, followed by they're supposed to meet with lawmakers on the 6th or something like that. I don't know what they're going to do. I feel it's a trap. There's um, the D.C. Uh, police are 
getting all bolstered up and they're preparing for this convoy. And it's almost like they're they're setting the bait in the trap. And they the, the Biden administration uh, is salivating over what's been going on. Biden basically gave his blessing to, to Trudeau to do what he did. And it's impacted many Americans because they they donated to give Sengo and GoFundMe for this um, because they believe they wanted to help Canadians uh, regain their freedom. And I feel that these truckers are are heading into a trap and they'd be better off just sitting and parking their trucks in their driveways and not going into the protest that way, because it's going to be a bloodbath, I fear. It's possible, uh, Liz. I don't have a crystal ball to see into the future. I cannot tell you whether one option is better than the other. I'll give you a contrarian view just for the sake of contemplation. Based on what I observed in Ottawa, it was beautiful to see Canadians of all these different backgrounds, professionally, geographically, different ages, different lines of work, different ethnicities and national backgrounds, come together physically in unity and fellowship against, again, what I describe as the COVID-19 enterprise. And there's something, in my view, that's indispensable about physical proximity with other Canadians. Yes, it would be interesting and possibly impactful for truckers to do what you advise and just, you know, not do their jobs, not do that work to sort of show what can happen if they organize together in terms of restricting logistical travel or the supply chain. Yes, but the, the unity of physical proximity with one another. I'll tell you some things that I saw that you'll never see in the news. I met some people who live in downtown who were volunteering parts of their homes or secondary homes to truckers and other demonstrators from across Canada. I saw people volunteering laundry services. Hey, trucker, give me your clothes. I'll go wash it. Come to my place. Come take a shower. This is amazing. I've never seen that before. So that sort of magic that you can only have when people are together would be lost if truckers did not come together somewhere. Now, does that mean it's the right thing to do? I'm not sure, Liz. I don't know. But just an idea for you and the audience to consider. Yes. And Robert, you're right. All of that happened organically. It was natural. It was beautiful. It was patriotic. It was beautiful to watch, just like it was watching the Hong Kongers carry their Trump flags and their American flags singing the national anthem of America. And look at what happened to them. They were subjected to COVID lockdowns and arrests. I think that was planned, but that's just me. But I'm saying is we already know how this movie ends. We saw it unfold. It's going to move much quicker for Americans because Biden administration already is renewing the National Emergency Act for COVID, even though our numbers are decreasing and the states are going into endemic status and there are Republican states that are don't even, you don't even know COVID exists, really. And, and so it doesn't make sense. Biden is doing this emergency powers thing. The convoy is organizing. They're bolstering up at the Capitol. We already know how the movie ends. There's no chance for an organic unfolding of this. This is my fear. See, what you saw was beautiful. And we we didn't know how it was going to happen. We were like, okay, what's going to happen? Trudeau's either going to, you know, cry chicken and jump off the tracks first, or, you know, he's being given an off-ramp. Is he going to take it? Are they going to wait it out? Like, we didn't know what was going to happen. We know what's going to happen now. That's what I'm scared of. Okay. Yeah, me me too. I share the same fears. I'll share with you just a, a possible bittersweet projection. It is possible 
that things have to get worse before they get better. Sometimes that happens in our private lives too, right? We ignore some sort of problem Mm -hmm. and it becomes very dramatic. And only when we really feel pain do we begin to change whatever habit or habits were causing us this discomfort relationship-wise, financially, health-wise, whatever. I think that's also true in a political and sociological sense. And it's possible that even though, as you put it, we know how this story ends in the short term, Mm -hmm. I do think that at the broader horizon, the future is not yet written. Okay, And it really is up to us to exercise our agency to define our futures. As you're, you're absolutely society. right. You're, I'm not sure. You know, Robert, one last thing. We had a lot of um, confusion. Did the woman that was trampled by the horse, did that actually happen? Is she hospitalized? Did she die? You know, what? what is the story on that? Okay, the horse trampling absolutely happened. Now, she's not dead. She's in the hospital recovering. Uh, There was a lot of misinformation on all sorts of sides. And by the way, the Ottawa police falsely stated that a bicycle was thrown at the feet of a horse and that it was an accident related to that. That's not true. There was a bicycle there, but it was not thrown at the, the horse's feet. We have that on video. There's no disputing this. So, yeah, it did happen. She's recovering. She's not dead. Robert. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. Um, we appreciate your time, and uh, uh, we're following this story closely here on the Liz Calloway Show. So thank you so much, Robert Krychik. Stay safe, and uh, I'm bracing. I'd love to get your take on what happens here in, in the next week or so. Sure, it would be great. Thanks, Liz. It was great to chat with you. Yes, you too. Liz Calloway and Nick Summers will be back in a few on Talk 94.5.